motorcycles. Where the circuits like freeways. I kept dreaming of a world I thought I'd never see. And then, one day, I got in. Everybody, my name is Michael Miller, and with me tonight is Paul Morley. Greetings. Broadcasting to you from downtown Palmer, Alaska, wintry downtown Palmer, Alaska, via airwaves, via fiber optics, and via satellite. And with us tonight also is Len Sawyer. Len, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Very cold, but very good. Excellent. That seems to be the theme from everyone today. We're going to get into why Len is here in just a minute. Before that, we're going to hit the news a little bit, as we tend to do. And as usual, we're going to have Paul's favorite section, My which... favorite part of the show? true. Which is the one and only Fear and Panic, which theoretically is supposed to broadcast <laughs> at any second. Paul, this is oh, your it's, one job. There we go. There we there go. We That's what we like to hear. It's coming up. Why exactly you should be so afraid of the technology you use every day? Actually. Especially no, if you're in Iran. That's not entirely true. But yes, if you are in Iran, then you do have reason to fear. Paul, what did you find out today? Well, there's some malware that's really um, pretty pretty catastrophic. It is. You know, there's been a number of attacks out on Iranian computers over the past several years of various levels of complexity. And what's interesting about this one, as with all the others, they follow a pattern. It very specifically targets uh, computers that are part of the industry, heavy industry in Iran. And this one is not quite as specific as some of the others. It erases entire partitions of hard drives of pretty much any Iranian computer that it wants to. And it does so on the partition that are labeled D through I. Why D through I? I you know, that, I find that interesting. Now, for those who don't know, Windows uh, labels the partitions of its hard drive. It starts with C, and it moves on down the list from there. And for reasons best known to itself, this particular piece of nastyware targets D through I. There must have been, again, this actually must be a sign of how targeted it is, because there must have been a specific purpose in mind. But it erases everything, just completely destroys it. And I guess that it's, it's successfully brought down a number of networks and a number of major co corporations, oil-based industries, and things of that nature in Iran. So for those that aren't as familiar with partitions, that, that's just designating a, a portion of the hard drive, yeah, is that that's, correct? that's exactly the right way to put it. Um, that's partition, it's also known as a volume. It's a way for the computer to say, okay, I got this chunk of, of potential data storage. How do I split it up? How do I show it to the user? How do I treat it? That's a partition, that's volume. And then, you know, why would it not just erase everything? I have no idea. I mean, I, you know, if I were to hazard a guess, then I would say that there are probably computers there that, for whatever reason, house information that someone wanted gone, or rather housed functions that someone wanted out and knew that targeting those partitions would kill. And I, what do you suppose would be the purpose of that? you think maybe these, uh, these computers might have uh, some nuclear yeah. channels or something? Yeah, and that's, that's, that's a... That's exactly the point, for at least from my perspective, is I, you know, every other virus that, that has come out 
that specifically targets Iranian computers has also been really focused and targeted in some way and generally very sophisticated and generally the exact purpose was never known, sometimes not until months, sometimes years later. People have devoted thousands of man hours in reverse engineering these and trying to understand what was going to, you know, the most famous example is Stuxnet. Mm -hmm. And Stuxnet was there to actually create a wobble in the, in the, plat, you know, the platters of the hard drives, which is pretty crazy if you yeah, think about it. Yeah, it's pretty subtle. And so why this is going through D2, through I, I don't really know, but if I had a bit bet, yeah, something to do with trying to bring down what another government doesn't want happening. Right. All right, well, moving on as far as what governments don't want happening, uh, perhaps uh, our new overlords, Apple, or maybe they're not going to be our new overlords, may or may not have wanted Google to re-release their Maps application for the Apple iPhone and the Apple iPad. But uh, Google has done so, much to the delight of approximately 10 million people who have downloaded it since it came out, a really staggering number of people. And they have downloaded this because so many people have been unhappy with Apple's existing Maps <laughs> app. Notice or how for Apple's existence. Well, right, this is also very true. Notice how smoothly, by the way, I now say Google's Maps app, as opposed to messing that up, which I've always done in the past. <laughs> it's a tongue twister, I have to tell you. So it's available. That's very exciting for very many people. Um, and that being said, apparently police who last week, we talked about the fact that they warned everyone in Australia from using Apple's Maps app because various individuals ended up in the middle of nowhere with no cell signal and had to hike out under threat of death to get help. They've now turned around and added, by the way, what are they saying, Paul? Well, they've had to, to they conducted six rescues in the recent weeks because people got lost in Murray Sunset National Park. That's a lot of rescues. Yeah. And were they using Google Apples? That's allegedly the reason. And now they are also warning people who are using Google Maps, apparently, as well. So it's not just an application thing. Probably the takeaway lesson is don't use your iPhone GPS to navigate the wilderness. Not the only thing. Yes. I can testify to that, actually. A couple really? of years ago, I was out on the Yukon River by myself, and um, I would follow on my GPS where I was compared to my hard copy maps. And there were times that, according to the, the map on the screen of the GPS, I was on dry land. And you weren't? No, because well, the, the river's, river had changed course. And what uh, was dry yeah, land was sense. now a channel. And um, I also found it very difficult to um, track distances over a longer period of time because you can't get detail on a tiny screen. So, is, yeah. And, you know, again, I, I really wouldn't recommend anyone use these for the wilderness. There actually are specific apps for that that use the phone's GPS instead of a cell signal. It would probably be a bit more reliable. Even so, don't navigate Denali National Park with an iPhone. That, that is not its intended habitat right. by, by any means. You know, we skipped, we skipped a story that I felt tied into fear and pain. Paul, you know, I, sometimes some people get their schedule off a little bit. Paul's making faces at me in the studio. Very rude, if you ask me. You know me, Mr. Schedule, right? The, yes, indeed, always on time, just yeah. like me. <clears throat> so uh, those, uh, we've covered WikiLeaks before on the show. 
And WikiLeaks, uh, for those who don't know, is an organization that dedicates itself to uh, leaking information that other organizations, whether they be governments or corporations, want to keep secret. And they provide an anonymous way for people to give them information, which they then release into the world. They've both done things that, are, that were arguably quite beneficial for the public, and they've also done things which have made a lot of people very upset because they've released information that was sensitive and potentially put people in danger. Because of that last one, pay, payment processes, Payment processors like PayPal, like Visa, like MasterCard have cut WikiLeaks off from donations. And since it's a nonprofit, donations are the only way it exists. So they hoped, and a number of people hoped, that would send WikiLeaks into a death spiral and put them under. As it turns out, a, a new nonprofit has arisen to deal with that, a middleman, if you will, that launders the money in a sense. They take the money and they then redistribute it to a number of organizations, just as it so happens to WikiLeaks. And they can accept donations online because they're not blacklisted. The Freedom of Press Foundation. Yeah, and they are very upfront about what they're doing. They've said the majority of their money is going to WikiLeaks. And, and it also goes to other organizations. It does. Much smaller, but the and, majority does go to WikiLeaks. And the ones that function, I guess, in similar ways that are there to try and transmit information that people might fall under, uh, whether it be legal purview or just uh, fall into some sort of danger, there are nonprofits that try to disseminate that information, and this not other nonprofit aims to help them. Muckrock and the National Security Archive are also funded by the Freedom of Press and You know, Foundation. I'm actually not familiar with what those do. Me either. I have to say. So we'll see where that goes. I have to wonder how long it's going to take before PayPal says, well, you know, we know what we're doing. We're probably going to X you out. It's been very effective. 24 hours being up, it received $35,000 in donations. Wow. Uh, I, I, would, I should open up a new nonprofit called Revealing What Michael Does on Thursdays <laughs> Nonprofit. Or, All right. Or after the show on Monday. Okay. Well, before well, the last bit of news, actually, I have to cover this real quick. I'm not even sure this counts as news, but this sort of made my day. A company now, Lixil, announced a new product. This is beautiful. Powered by the Android operating system, the operating system that powers Google tablets, Google phones, and other things. It's a really high-tech product, and it is a toilet. <laughs> so, Paul, what does, this, what does this toilet do? Well, you can you can um, you can use your phone to open the lid. Nice. To, to program I, I wish for that mood music all the time. All the time. Yep. It's mm -hmm. true. The toilet has speakers. You mm -hmm. can play some really serious bass to those speakers. I bet. Yes. You can even adjust settings like water pressure. <laughs> Could those speakers also hide? Obnoxious sounds. That's well, exactly the idea. That's nothing new to the Japanese toilet industry. And this is being made by a Japanese yes. toilet company. Okay. That makes a lot more sense because I've heard that they have any number of really wild additions to their toilets. Yeah, some of them are startling if you're not ready for them. <laughs> I, okay, we're going to skip that piece of information. And Oh, by the way, yeah, it tracks, tracks your health. I was just getting started. Yeah, oh, I'm sure that you were. It tracks your health by how you use the toilet. That's and right. I really don't know what that I means. I don't know I don't think but I want to know what that means. If you need a toilet that tracks you and that you can remotely <laughs> control, you know, there, there, there's room for abuse there. I have to point out, if you have guests and they do not know what that toilet is. What if somebody hacks do? your phone? <laughs> Never mind if they, they hack your do. toilet. It's really the end. Uh, curiously enough, it's only powered on Android phones, not on an iPhone. 
And even more curiously enough, it's $4,000. <laughs> right. That's, that's a lot of dollars. Okay, well, that's what technology has, the pinnacle that it has hit today. We're gonna, this is a good note to, to, to switch gears. Yeah, we're going, to, we're going to wind the gears back a little bit because I want to introduce Len Sawyer, who we very briefly touched on earlier. I met Len uh, back in the late 1990s when I was a fresh-faced, young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed techno geek who uh, took my computer to have Len fix it. And this was before I could even, I was barely managing my way around extensions on the Apple Mac. And Len had been working on Macs in the IT field well before that. Len, welcome to the show, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you very much. It's good to be here. Um, boy, about me. Well, I started uh, my career in Oregon. Uh, mm -hmm. I worked for IBM. And oh. right out of school, I was developing some of the manuals for the XT and the AT models. Uh, this you was, were writing manuals? I was writing was that part mind, of the manuals. Was that mind-numbing work? Um, yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> I had an excellent cubicle and an ohmmeter and a soldering pencil, and I used to put cables together and then test them and you see and how You and Dilbert, huh? Yeah, yeah. I had the tie that came out straight. It was great. <laughs> so uh, anyhow, I did that for a while, and uh, one day uh, my boss, Ed, came in. He dropped a Macintosh in front of me, and he said, open this up and check it out. So this would have been 1984, 85? Uh, yeah, right around 85, 84, so they, 84. literally, that was the year the that, was, that, was the first, that was the first Mac. Mm -hmm. He drops it in front of me, and he says, open it up, check it out. This is trouble. Now, he was a system engineer. He's a high-level uh, high dude. Mm -hmm. They Great were scared. Guy. And he was scared. Mm -hmm. So I took a while, figured out how to open it up. It took this fancy screwdriver called the Torx driver, which I'd never seen before, but I managed to get my hands on one, opened it up, and I looked it over, and I thought, oh, my gosh, how is this possible? This logic board was about a foot square. Now, the XT, the AT, the best that I've ever seen was huge. So even back then, and I, you know, I guess this is an aspect I hadn't thought of a lot, but they were already, they were pushing the envelope for size. They were pushing the, the envelope amount. in every way, mm -hmm. in every way. It was amazing to me, and I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh, wow, it's, this is just, it's going to have to be like eight different logic boards all sandwiched together. Uh, and it wasn't. It was clean. It was simple. And uh, I, I was stunned. And, you know, he comes into my office after we had this thing open and looked it over, and he says, yeah, we're... We're going to be having to rethink our futures here. Mm. He uh, told me that within a few weeks he anticipated getting a job with Apple. Yeah. Oh, and wow. he hit, yeah, and he hit me up and he said, if you're interested, you might want to consider uh, jumping on ship. Over. And I said, no way. Absolutely not. I won't do that. And he said, hey, don't be stupid. It's just <laughs> a job. It's just a job. So uh, sure enough, he took a job with Apple, and a few weeks later I got a call to potentially come up here to Alaska and start um, working with computers here in Alaska so going it was, out to the bush. I didn't realize that. So it was, it, was, it was Apple and Macs in specific that brought you up here. It was. Wow, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, we got a job uh, working for a vendor that worked specifically for Apple. I started going out uh, to various bush school districts and building... You know, and I got to apologize. I'm not sure if it was called Local Talk or Apple Talk Networks. The first one, one was Local Talk. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Local Talk was the actual physical topology then. Mm -hmm. Okay. I started building Local Talk Networks all over the state, and uh, it was going really well. And then I started doing training seminars and started repairing stuff, and that continued on. And 
I decided, why am I doing this for somebody else? And after several years of doing that, I jumped ship and uh, started my own business. So before you jumped ship, you worked for the Mac store in in Anchorage, right? Yeah, it was actually called the computer store. The computer store. I I remember stopping in there, and I caught the tail end of it before it went under because I got into Macs in the 90s, which was a dismal time. They... yeah, they were basically the, the the organization that took care of all of the school districts. They had the Apple education account set up, and I stepped into that in a big way. And uh, it worked really well. I really enjoyed what I was doing. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Apple's really been smart about aligning themselves with the education world from the very beginning. Yeah, that's an interesting aside. Actually, Apple... Uh, the first apples were the Apple II, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they were distributed by dun, 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 Bell and Howell. Who? Yes, they were black. Yes, they were Bell, black. And Howell? Bell and Howell was the organization that developed and Military, produced. wasn't it? Uh, they probably had something to do with it, but they mostly made 16-millimeter projectors. And 16-millimeter projectors were used heavily in schools, heavily in schools. Almost every school had several of them. So it made sense that Apple would say, hey, let's look at it this way. You know, if we get these guys to distribute this, they're already in the roads with the schools anyway. So they took off. That was smart. It worked really well. It was a very smart business decision. And... Go ahead. Oh no, sorry. I was just so you you moved on. You worked for the for the computer store, uh, retail anchorage. You started doing uh, work in the bush, and then you moved on and uh, struck out for yourself. I did. Yeah, I did, and I was uh, doing consulting work for several school districts. And then I thought, you know, let's get smart about this. And I decided to uh, talk to multiple school districts about being the IT director. So oh. I became the IT director for the Upiat the Cusbuck and the Copper River School Districts. And I was the IT director for all three at the same time. Wow. I'd spend between three and five days a month at each site. And um, basically we were getting all of these networked, all of the buildings networked, and doing whatever they needed. That is a lot of small time traveling. traveling. Oh, it was a lot of traveling and a lot of fun, though. But we, Mm -hmm. uh, we managed to get all of these schools all of them locally wired, and mm-hmm. then we basically turned it into a wide area network where we had the schools, all of the schools, communicating via something called Quick Mail, which was one of the early email communication packages. So we could send files, we could send text, no we could do way. whatever we wanted. Yeah, it's pretty so, cool. But wait, using satellite? Yeah. And this was what year? Uh, this was actually pre-satellite. This was using the phone lines. We had a modem set up, and I had it set up so that it would, they would all transmit about 2 in the morning when there would be minimal traffic. Hmm. That's pretty darn cool. It was pretty cool, and it was pretty tough. Uh, a lot of the phone systems out there, the farther out you get, the more unlikely you have <laughs> yeah. a stable phone system. So it was, a, it was a real challenge at times. And yet you were using this just for communications and file transfer, and, of course, back then files were... Uh, Kilobytes, even less than kilobytes in size. Yeah, we had uh, minimal capabilities as far as the communication goes, but we made the most of what we had, and it worked out really well. So, when you were setting those networks up, did you have any pipe dreams about what what was coming? You know, you're like, okay, wow, we're doing messages. That's really great. And you know, even then, of course, people were talking about quick cams and and the potential for for video conferencing. I, I imagine. 
that's the, nowhere near the bandwidth for that, obviously. But what were you wishing for? What were you thinking? There must have been new you know, firing off. Yeah, I, I tell you exactly what I was wishing for. Michael, Paul, I was wishing for a few days off now and then. <laughs> I was working all the time, every day. Twenty-hour uh, days were fairly common, and I was I was beat. When we finally started to get everything all taken care of, that's about the time everything shipped gears. And the uh, FCC came in and said, hmm, hmm, we have an opportunity here to get everybody on the same playing field. And that was with satellite dishes and the Internet. Okay. And that exploded. And so when I thought I might be able to get a little bit of time off, that's when it, things really got busy. No kidding. And we just took off. I... I couldn't believe how busy I was. I was hardly ever home. So what what would you say, when when did the Internet start taking off, at least in terms of education in Alaska, particularly in rural school districts? What Around what year was that? 95. 95. 95 to 2000, roughly. And that's that's a ballpark. Um, it was it was taking off. We were it, the FCC was basically paying for virtually all of it, and they made a deal with these various school districts. They said if you have your infrastructure in place by a certain amount of time, by a certain date, mm-hmm. that they would basically pay for it. Hmm. All right. So what do they want to do? They all want to get it done by They're that motivated. certain date. So guess what? There's like two people in the state that are doing this, and oh, I'm boy. one of them. Guess how busy I was. Wow. That, that, yeah, that would be a lot of flying. It's interesting because I, for a while, I was interim tech director for the Yukon Flats School District. Yeah, I remember and, that. Yep, and, and you coached me through some of that at the well, time. I, and um, you, did it, you did it yourself. You're <laughs> smart. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, and, I, and I've worked for a couple of other rural school districts, and one of the things that I noted and have appreciated, particularly when you come back here and do some work here, is that in many ways um, some school districts that either have it together or even have just one person together, one tech talking in these rural school districts, and that you've probably had a number of interesting experiences that spawned from that. Dozens. 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 Is there, are there any that stick out? Because yeah. I, I wanted to pick your brain on that for a long time. Yeah, you told me some, but I've, I've always figured there had to be You know, more. every time we get together, I tell you something, right? And there's, <laughs> always, there's always some story. I always assume it's true, too. Well, for the most part. <laughs> hey, but first, before we get on there, I wanted to throw a shout-out to uh, Shelly. I want to say hi, Shelly, Kelly, Stacy, and Andy. Hopefully uh, hi guys. I've covered a little bit of my bases there. Um, all right, so. They're thinking, God, they'll let anybody on the air. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're excited. They're probably going to call in and, and, and embarrass you somehow. All right. Oh, I sincerely hope so. <laughs> hey, by the way, it's also Christmas. And so in, you know, in, uh, in response to that, I brought you each this amazingly cool Tote bag. Oh wow! Really? From MSCS, Matt Sue Central guests? School. Yes, you have do. Something to carry no my way. papers home in. What? What? That, I, I wanted to have so many more guests. Look at Matt Sue Central School, and in With each bag, in each bag, you get a really cool Matt Sue Central School pen, oh, and oh. and yes, it's true. A magnetic a sticker. Magnetic so sticker. Len, you're the most generous guest we've ever had by a. By a long, long shot. I think oh, I'm I probably the only, the only guest you probably ever had. I'm not saying that someone might not be able to exceed your generosity at some point. Well, I'm raising the bar high. <laughs> That's true. No, this is awesome. Thank you, Len. You're it welcome. Extremely generous. Yes, and thank you indeed. I am supremely jazzed. That's good. Putting, putting that pen right in Hey, if there's shirt. any other people who want to be guests, all you have to do is give us gifts on the radio show. You can <laughs> totally be on any time. 
Paul, that will not stick to your head. I thought the metal plates might <laughs> make it attach. All right, so you wanted a story. I uh, do. I have many, but uh, there's one that kind of stands out in my mind. Uh, after uh, working in the Yupiat School District, I met an interesting individual. His name is Hoke. Yeah, that's, that was Hoke? his first name, Hoke. Hoke. Does he like hokey for, you know? Uh, he's from the South. He's, he's a sharp guy. He was a great guy. I liked him a lot. We became friends. He took a job in the... Uh, um, Lake and Penn School District and gave me a call one day and said, hey, Len, can you help us? I want to try and network Chignik Lake. That was his, he was all over the district, but he really wanted to get Chignik Lake networked. And I thought, yeah, sure, I'd be glad to. Uh, at that point, I think I had just started working with Matsu, so I had to do it over a, uh, about a three-day weekend. So I flew out, landed in, uh, I believe it was King Salmon, and spent the night in King Salmon, then flew out to Chignik Lake, which is way out in the Aleutian chain. I get out there, and it, it was an amazing flight. The pilot was insane. Um, landed on a beach at one point uh, because he thought there was a dead walrus there, and he wanted to, <laughs> he wanted to harvest the, the tusks. Oh, my gosh. So he jumps out of the plane with an axe in his hand, and he goes running back there, and he grabs onto the tusk, and he starts to lift it up out of the sand, and the walrus wakes up. Oh, my you're, you're God. Not, that cannot be true. true. It's true. True. Absolutely true. <laughs> oh, so the no. walrus the walrus is, is not happy. What a way to wake up. That is not the tooth fairy. Oh, <laughs> That's wow. a serial killer tooth so, fairy. <laughs> Now, this walrus looked pretty small on the beach, that, but when, you? You know, when he takes off after this pilot, and these, you know, the pilot's running after the plane, the <laughs> walrus is running after the pilot, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is not good. This you is know. Alaska. So he hops in the plane, fires it up, and we go barreling down off the beach and take off again. But uh, this was a big walrus, very big walrus. I was, I was definitely impressed by the size of that animal. It's amazing how fast they could move. When it was, they a, it was a very too. fast waddle. Yeah. <laughs> Anything, anytime something over several hundred pounds waddles at you with yes. intent, it's yes. scary. It would have, it would have waddled all over me. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, so we take off and we're we're flying in towards Chignik. It's a long way out there, so it's a long flight, and uh, we're coming up over Chignik Lake, approaching the village. I can see the village off in the distance, and uh, I'm looking down at the water, and there's this gigantic beaver. I'm thinking, man, the pilot said, look at the size of that beaver. He says, oh, let's take a look. So we head on down, and we get down really close, and it's a huge grizzly bear. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, wow. <laughs> Your pilot is firing all kinds of trust this morning. Yeah, this is, this is cool. So I'm thinking, all right, all right, this is neat. So we pull in, land. I go to the school. Now, the main school had burned down a couple of years before, and they basically remodeled the gymnasium. So they put, um, uh, you know, basically a two-floor, two-story uh, oh, school wow. in the gymnasium. Interesting. So it was kind of weird. It was kind of piecemeal together, mm-hmm. and it was going to be kind of difficult to network. I had, I, I figured the main floor would be pretty easy. The second floor is going to be a bit more difficult. But so I started in on the on the, uh, the main floor to get to the main floor to really network it correctly. I really needed to get into the crawl space. Okay, so the crawl space was dirt on the bottom. What time of year is this? I think it was it was there was no there was it was cold but there was no snow so it was probably fall. Okay. I'm guesstimating late September. School was in session. School was in session. Yes. Okay. I was there over a weekend. Mm, All right. Crawl spaces. Yeah, and so I'm I'm down this crawl space now. The crawl space is kind of interesting. It's it's a it's a, a boiler heated school. So you've got this. All these hot water pipes in the crawl space that are insulated, but the basement or the the crawl space of the school is about 85 degrees. It's very warm. 
and there's a lot of bugs down there. Now, all the cold water pipes are basically sweating. You know, the condensation mm-hmm. is dripping. So you have this interesting microcosm down there. Yeah, moisture and heat. Moisture and heat, yeah, and these bugs thrive. Yeah. All right, so... I'm pushing this thousand foot spool of cable, and I've got some wow. wire cutters, and I've got the, uh, the 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 necessary tools that I need to do my job. I got a flashlight and such, and I'm I'm cruising along, and I'm I'm punching holes with the drill, and I'm putting wire up in the walls, and it's going pretty well. And this one pipe, this one hot water pipe that was well insulated, it's really close to the ground, and I've got to get underneath it, and it was a tight squeeze. So I'm working my way underneath that pipe, and I kind of... feeling claustrophobic. Yeah. Earth burrowing into the ground. A little bit, and uh, my butt kind of hangs up on that pipe a little bit. <laughs> and I'm pulling and pushing and pulling and pushing, and when I finally popped out, the pipe goes bong up against the side of this joist. And I'm thinking, okay, well, something fell onto my back. And I'm thinking, eh, it's a piece of wood or something, right? Didn't pay much attention to it. I crawl a few more feet, pushing my stuff, and whatever was on my back walked up to my shoulder. What? Yeah. Walked up to my left shoulder, and I thought, oh, my gosh, it's a mouse or something. So, wait, it was that, it was that size. It wasn't like... Uh, you know like what? I, I didn't know. I, I wasn't sure. I thought well, I, the, only thing, the only thing I could conceive of down there was going to be a mouse. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of bugs, right. but still, I'm thinking mouse. So I look over on my shoulder, and I cast the beam of the flashlight onto my left shoulder, and I see this bizarre alien creature that's got these really long, hairy legs, and I look up the legs, and right by my left eyeball is this gigantic <laughs> spider. Oh now, that spider was just about the size of my fist. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, this is an Alaskan... This is in Alaska. This is not Arizona. This is not Nevada. This is some kind of a gigantic spider. Now, I'm thinking, holy smokes. You know, I I believe I uttered uh, a little French. I think I said socle bleu. (laughs) And instantly thinking self-defense, and I can't have this thing right by my face. I mean, the fangs are, like, right by my eyeball. Oh, yeah, it had these two huge fangs, and it had, like, this this row of eyeballs. There was a bunch of eyeballs. How big was it? It was huge, man. It was huge. It was a man killer. That thing could have taken a grizzly down. It was a grizzly killer. (laughs) It was horrible. So I'm thinking quickly, I'm going to have to kill this spider. There's no way. It's it's me or him. (laughs) So... I mean, I'm in, I'm in a close quarter combat with a spider, right? So I'm going to use the best tool I have in my hand. I've got this huge flashlight in my right hand, right? So I'm thinking i got to kill it. Now, it's probably going to take a couple of hard whacks, but i got to kill it. <laughs> so I swing the flashlight really hard at this spider. And as the flashlight beam is arcing through the air, I see the spider leap off of my shoulder through the arc of the flashlight. Now, at this, this moment, I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God. <laughs> it's, it's either a flying or a leaping spider. I hit my shoulder with the flashlight. The flashlight breaks. Now not, I'm no, in, Luckily, not your shoulder. No. Yeah, I, but there's no light. I'm yeah, dark. Now it's he's dark. in the dark. Oh, man. I it's would dark. officially start to scream like a little girl. At that I, was, I would. I would. I'm still traumatized. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay. There's probably about 5,000 of these things down here. Oh, and, uh, man, and they're moving and they're, in. And they're probably contemplating how to get me right now. Yeah. I'm sure they're moving in for an attack. He's they probably us. have little weapons. That was a scout. 
It was. It was a scout, and it was a lead scout. And I'm thinking, this is it. It's all over. So I look over, and I can see the shaft of light coming down from the stairwell. Where, yeah, the access hatch, rather. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, well, let's see if I can break, break the speed of sound. <laughs> and I crawled. I crawled so fast, I believe I left a wake of dirt in my, in my path. And I was, scampered. Was it the crawl or the butterfly? It was a fast crawl. Very, very fast crawl. Uh, and I hit the stairs and I popped out of there like Superman trying to fly. And uh, Hope was standing there and he goes, dude. What's going on? What's all the commotion? I said, oh, my God, man, there's this, this huge spider down there, and I think it either can fly or it leaps like you wouldn't believe. And he goes, spider? He stops for a second. He thinks. He goes, oh, yeah, about a year ago, one escaped from the science lab. Oh, what? <laughs> I said, well, he's, so he's down there. It's been That's living had for a year. Oh, yeah, I guess they live a long time. I, I don't know. Anyhow. Well, they're feasting on yeah, human flesh, I would imagine. Yeah, right. They do live yeah. a long time. I think that there was all kind of little critters down there that spider was living on and probably doing pretty well. I'm so, sure it was the landlord. So <laughs> so I said I said to Hulk, I said, now you realize, of course, the price just went up on this job. <laughs> so it's like, you think I'm going to go back down there. I'm There's not without, like, a flamethrower. I need a flamethrower and a baseball bat, you know, and give me, give me some weaponry, you know. Because I'm not going back down what there. What kind of spider was it? It turns out it was a tarantula. Yeah. Oh, and it was, it was, oh, uh, man. If I, man, if I saw that on my shoulder, it really would be all over. <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah. I would pass out. I was, I was pretty upset. I was pretty upset. No, no doubt about it. So, we've, we've in other words, you're working the bugs out of the system. Then. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So eventually I made it back down there and finished off the job, but not before tucking my pant legs into my socks and buttoning my top collar button and Get a hoodie and you know just going in with all yep. kind of gear. And we got another call. Phone call coming in. It's a local entomologist. And you are on the air. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is Sam. Hey, Sam, how are you? Doing great. Just, was a, that was a fantastic spider story. That was a good one. That was a fantastic spider story. You don't story. hear tarantula stories in Alaska I wasn't very often. A big tarantula well, down there. That was awesome. there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is yeah. true. But Sam, you have a question? I do have a question. I have an issue on my iPhone. I downloaded the program, I downloaded the app TweetDeck probably a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And before I upgraded the, the, um, the iOS system, it stopped working. And I just ignored it because I've been, I've, I've just been using regular Twitter. And now I actually want to go back and use TweetDeck. But I'm not able to, um, I don't know how to get it off of my iPhone. And when I try to download a new version of it from the App Store, the App Store tells me that TweetDeck is still open. And I don't really know how to close it. All right, so you have an app that isn't doing what it's supposed to do, and you want to know what to do next. Yeah. uh, Do you know how to delete an app off your iPhone? I actually don't because I haven't done it before. All right, well, that is your golden ticket right there. And with so many things, it's very simple but not perhaps immediately obvious. You just kind of have to make them wiggle. You have to make them wiggle and dance. This is so true. And you do that by tapping, by just putting your finger on one and holding it there until all your icons start to wiggle and dance. Okay, that's happening right now. Yep, and then you'll get a little X. Yep, (laughs) you should get a little X next to the icon. Uh huh. And tish, it's gone. Yep, now you can reinstall it. It should work great. Great. Awesome. Thank you very much. Excellent. You bet, Sam. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. Thank you. All right. Okay. Len, so you 
successfully navigated tarantulas, walruses, <laughs> giant beavers, grizzlies, and so forth. And at some point, you said, okay, enough is enough. And he finally did lay some wire. I laid wire like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> and what, what did you do after that? I know you've eventually, when I met you, you were working here in the Matsu School District. Yeah, I was working in the Matsu School District for about 10 years. I took a sabbatical. I thought I could make a fortune on the stock market and found that that was not so easy. Uh, after trying that for two or three years, I so decided... So wait, you, 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 were, you were trying to make a living off the stock market? Yeah, yeah, I was. Got lucky initially in the first couple of trades, and I made quite a bit of money, and I you thought, this is easy. You kind an awful time to get into it, though. Well, this was before then. It was before it's, the crash. Oh, okay. Well, actually, it was. I rode the crash down pretty nice. Oh, is that right? <laughs> it was like a surfer going <laughs> you, off a waterfall. You caused the crash? I probably did, yeah. I, I modified the rules. Anyhow, uh... Uh, you know what? I got very fortunate. I ran into an old friend, and I managed to get a job at Matsu Central School. And I am currently, my t- job title is online technologist. And I am I want that absolutely title. amazed at how cool that system is. I had never, I had no idea that there were schools like that out there. So what, what do you do as an online technologist? What does an online technologist do? What are you in charge of? What, what's the story? Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing you do if you're an IT director. You're, you're dealing with the computer systems. You're helping out with orders. You're, you're maintaining. You're putting software on the machines. We have approximately 1,500 kids that go to Matsu Central School. Uh, they don't actually go there. It's part of a home-based school system. So... But they're enrolled there. They're enrolled there. They take classes through us. Some of the classes are online. Some of the classes are through local vendors. And we have approximately 1,500 kids, and a vast majority of them have a computer that we've issued out to them. And with that said, I take care of it, keep it all healthy and happy, do the occasional training seminar. Um, so you're a technology-heavy school. Yeah, we are very heavy technology. And do you see that paying dividends? I mean, I guess and then the reason I ask that is there's a lot of debate, or if there's studies, you know, there have been other schools that have gotten laptops for every student, and there have been uh, people or, or organizations that have said, well, that's not really going to improve their education all that much. It's not going to make them learn all that much better. What's been your experience working for the Matsu Central School? Well, it's totally different. Uh, it's a unique system if, if a student takes home a laptop or a desktop, doesn't really matter to me which it is. If they utilize it the way we hope that they'll utilize it, they're going to get a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're taking an awful lot of online classes. They're looking up information. They're doing their research. They're, they're using it like we hope that they'll use it. Of course, there's going to be some fun stuff, too. Well, sure. And, and we, in addition to the, uh, the laptops, the desktops, we also provide a lot of iPads. So what you're saying is, is this, this technology is in, in, integral to the curriculum as well. Absolutely. Your school depends on this technology Absolutely. existing. Absolutely. Okay, we, we have to have it. They have got to be able to get online and do the classes. They have to. Many of these kids can't attend regular school for this or that reason. Correct. Many of these kids are there, um, you know, for a lot of reasons. Um, we have a, a, a large... A huge group, a despairing group of, of all kinds of kids. You know, we've got uh, some of the best in the district, I think, and uh, and a lot of kids that uh, they don't really have an option to go to a regular school. You know, well, a lot of kids are, are home based for a lot of other reasons. Maybe they live way out somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps they have some health issues, or perhaps their parents decided that they don't want them to go through the rigors of a public brick and mortar school. So how how does that, I mean, I guess two things. One is how does that work exactly in the sense that, okay, they have online curriculum, but how does that curriculum 
deliver. What is an online curriculum in that case? Is it video? Is it video conferencing? Is it just Microsoft Word documents on a website? If I were a kid and I was taking a class from Matsu Central School, what could I expect to be doing with my MacBook or my iPad or whatever it is? Well, if you're taking online classes, you're basically... Uh, you're 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 watching videos. You're 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 watching a lecture. You're listening to a lecture. You're you're getting some content. You're reading it. You're you're taking tests. You're you're basically doing schoolwork, mm-hmm. whether it's through a book or whether it's video or whatever that might be. You have uh, uh, you know a lot of options. We have a lot of different vendors that we work with for the online curriculum. And I know there's some some school based. Um, um, networks for the, the equivalent of just email communication and um, almost like a blog. Right. It's really kind of locked within you, the, right. the school's network, so it's it's safe in, in, in ways that the open network isn't. Well, yeah, it is. It is. It's a, it's a lockdown system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we might want to talk later about that uh, open DNS, too, about mm-hmm safeness and, and uh, how to uh, protect your family, well, so to speak. and that ties into what we've, I've meant to talk about a, a number of times on the show, but what do parents do if they're concerned about their kids surfing parts of the web that they don't want them to? I mean, the, you know, the amazing thing about the Internet is that it's open, but anytime you have that much freedom, there's a lot of content that you don't Absolutely. want people visiting. How do you guys challenge that? Look, there's an easiest way to do it is working with a program similar to OpenDNS. OpenDNS.com, if you look it up online, it's free. it's free. You can get a, you can subscribe to it. You get two different IP addresses. You install the IP addresses onto your router, and your entire home will be protected, or at least pretty much protected. Uh, they'll instantly filter pornography, uh, lingerie, that sort of thing. Um, now, you say it issues an IP number. Right. IP address, excuse me. Uh, I usually associate that with with a device like a computer. Mm-hmm. Well, basically, that IP address, your router is forced to go through that IP address before it will go out and gather any content or do anything else. So if you're exchanging emails, it's no sweat. You don't really notice a lag or a slowdown. It's uh, It's... It's pretty accurate. It works well. If you don't want to do that, you can actually lock down the computer itself. Now, that is a bit more arduous, and you can make that computer basically almost unusable. Mm. But uh, I like the idea of using something like OpenDNS. It's fairly simple, and once you set it, you basically forget it. Hmm. You know, I should also note while we're talking about that that um, my iPhone just died because I didn't have battery juice for it. In other words, it ran out of electricity, which also means that the person I was just corresponding with, Doug, if you want to call in, you can do that now. I'm sorry. I couldn't get back to you in time. <clears throat> I'm, I'm very apologetic. But feel free. You know how to call in. So, uh, Len, you've been working at Matsu Central School. And are, does it have any – is it all, only distance learning? I mean, I see a big school building. It's a very no. cool building. No, we have, we have outstanding options that we, uh, we, we work with the community with. Um, you know, we um, – we offer a lot of options for on-site and off-site. We have on our off-site classes, we've got a lot of different vendors that are out there, a lot of things such as um, 
Taekwondo, uh, a karate. If you want to take karate, you can take yeah, karate, cool. and that's part of a PE program, or you can take dance or gymnastics, and we have archery, you name it. Uh, lots of different vendors that have um, basically gone through our screening process, and they provide classes. Mm. So that pumps a lot of money in the local economy. But in addition to that, um, we offer an array of field trips and community events. So, you know, such as like ice skating, we recently had a, a we rented the uh, Brett Arena. Hmm. And oh, yeah, we had yeah. a lot of kids show up and ice skate, and it was fun. Excellent. We did the same thing at the bowling alley, uh, and that was a lot of fun. We had just last week, we had an art show at the school. Uh, we had a dance last week. Um, wow. we, we do a lot. We also have movie nights of every month or two. Hmm. Uh, we try to do as much as we can with the local community, and we we really have a very uh, progressive school as far as our technology goes. We have excellent um, audio-visual equipment that ties in nicely with our computer system so we can project almost anything up. Uh, that we have on our computer or an iPad. Well, that is including exceptionally our cool. And we actually have, that's, this is probably Doug. Let's go ahead and check and see. You're on the air. Hi. Uh, long-time listener and third-time caller. Nice. Yeah, at least three. Doug, thank you for calling, sir. Hi. Uh, great show tonight. Really enjoying it. Excellent. Thank you. Len, Let's unfortunately, Len. Len, Len is headphoneless. Maybe, Paul, you and Len can share Headphones, miraculously. No, I, I don't know how that would work. But, Doug, thanks for calling in. Thanks for complimenting us. What can we do for you? Oh, so, all right. Um, I, do, I no longer use Firefox because I got some outdated, I got the outdated um, operating system stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm using Chrome and Opera, and it turns out that frequently as I'm using them, the the computer tries to eject a disk when there's not even a, di- a disc in there and when I don't even press the eject button. Hmm. It, just, it just goes. Do you ever, by eject the disc, do you mean just this, the, the drive goes, makes grinding, whirring noises like, you mean uh, yeah. ejecting makes, a, a DVD? Yeah, it makes, it makes that sound. Okay, that, you know, actually, believe it or not, that's not it trying to eject the disc. Oh. That is actually um, what that means is is that browser has as access trying to access all disks for for whatever given reason it's spinning up the hard drive and as part of that it's also spinning up the DVD drive because it's anticipating needing to access disk data and oh. it, it, those browsers aren't the only ones that'll do that you'll get that uh, with various other applications now and again they will just fire stuff up basically and that's the sound that you're hearing. So it's not some hacker in Iran. It's not a hacker in Iran. And mm. trying to access my my CD-ROM. It probably not. And if it was, I would let it happen anyway because that would be immensely entertaining. I'm joking. No, I would never let that happen. <laughs> no, Doug, you're you're good. And thanks for calling in. We've got to wrap up the show. And uh, you are, by the way, in the contest for yet another app. You're an app fiend. Oh, get it to someone else. Thank you much. Have All a right. great night. Thanks, thanks for Doug. calling. All right, we're going to start wrapping up. Len, thank you so much for coming on the show and entertaining Paul and I and our antics. Um, if people want to learn more about Matsu Central School and the really cool stuff you guys are doing there, what, what should they do? Where should they go? Well, easy enough. You can jump on the web and go to matsucentral.org. That uh, is easy enough. It's our website. You can read up on us and get quite a bit of information. 
Excellent. And you're also, I believe, in Wasilla, right by the train tracks, by the old Yep, uh, we're depot. across the train tracks from cars in Wasilla. We're the red and black building, the two-story that just got remodeled. Nice, yeah, nice remodel. Yeah, it was, it's great. We Huge. have a beautiful facility, beautiful facility. That is fantastic. Well, Len, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. awesome to thank have you. you. It's been great to know you, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back. I would love to Soon. come back sometime. Yes, excellent. Well, happy holidays to everyone, and we will talk with you all again very soon. See ya. Have a great holiday. The Grid. A digital frontier. I tried to picture clusters of information as they moved through the computer. What did they look like? Ships, motorcycles. Were the circuits like freeways? 